G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 11 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. In today's episode, we're having a look at Stephen, the first martyr. He died sharing the gospel with God's chosen people. He died because they refused to see the truth that God had been showing them through the prophets for hundreds of years. And that truth is this, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God who came to earth to pay the penalty for humankind's sin by dying on the cross, and who rose again after three days, defeating death and giving everyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in him eternal life. But the most amazing thing about this story is that despite the fact that they stoned him to death, Stephen loved them. He died begging God to forgive them. It is a really powerful story. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find that over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 11 on the list. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado... Let's dig in. Last week in episode 10 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we looked at how the apostles dealt with an issue the church had brought to them. They didn't deal with it by going out and fixing the problem themselves, but rather they had the church choose seven men filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom and had them handle the situation. In doing so, that freed the apostles up to continue focusing on the ministry Jesus had given them, preaching the gospel. We saw that their action made the church healthier, and today, we can do the same to improve the health of our churches. The solution to fixing issues within the church isn't that those already working do more work, that those serving serve more. The solution, rather, is that more people need to start serving. As a church, we are a body made up of many different parts, and a body functions best when all parts are working, doing their different tasks, but working together. Today we're looking at the importance of being able to give a defense of the gospel, of what we believe. It's quite a long passage, but I want to read all of it because I believe it's important to let God's word through Luke do the talking here instead of me trying to paraphrase and trim it down to just what I think is important. Our passage today is Acts chapter 6 verses 8 through to chapter 7 verse 60. But before we start on it, I want to bring something to attention as we go. I talk about the importance of sharing the faith Sorry, sharing the truth of God's word mixed equally with love. As we read through Stephen's defense here of the gospel, it can be hard to spot his love for people in his words. 
However, his love for them is revealed in his very last words. So while sometimes his words sound harsh here, know that he does care for them and his words are still the truth. So let's get started. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 through to chapter 7 verse 60. And this is the NIV translation this week. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, that, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And just remember this section, this becomes very important later on. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And this is another important point which will be addressed by Stephen as we go, and I'll highlight that as we read. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, but even enough, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, 
Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, seventy-five in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Seshem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the son, sons of Hamor at Seshem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you have killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And just quickly, quickly to note here, Stephen is showing his respect for Moses. He's addressing something that he was accused of disrespecting Moses, of blaspheming against um, God's law and against Moses. But here, he's showing that the Israelites started off disrespecting and making a mockery of Moses. But Stephen is treating him with respect in the statement he's given. And bear in mind, Stephen is a Hellenist. He is a foreign-born Jew who grew up speaking Greek. He didn't grow up in Israel. He is, speak he is treating Moses with respect, but the Israelites have a long history of disrespecting Moses right back to the beginning. Back to the passage. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for forty years in the wilderness. 
This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in, uh, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Raphim, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. This is in Amos 5. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. And a note again, now Stephen addresses the accusation that he is disrespecting the temple, and he's doing that by explaining its history here and showing his care for it by his great knowledge of it. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor, and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
When he had said this, he fell asleep. So the synagogue of the freedmen had issue with Stephen and the truth Stephen taught about Jesus, but they couldn't stand up to the wisdom the Holy Spirit had given them as he spoke. So instead, they did exactly what others had done to Jesus. They spread lies about what Stephen was saying. They claimed that Stephen was speaking against the temple and saying that Jesus would destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to them. So facing those accusations, Stephen defends the gospel with an incredible sermon, demonstrating his knowledge of the Old Testament, which the people he spoke to claimed to believe. He pointed out that how even right after God had rescued the Israelites from Egypt, they still wanted to go worship idols. Even though they had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them, they had a place to worship God. They found other things to worship, things that made. Then in David's time, David asked to build a temple for God, a dwelling place on earth. However, David had shed too much blood, so instead God allowed his son Solomon to build the temple. Then Stephen points out that God doesn't live in buildings made by human hands. Stephen explains this by using God's own words from the books of the Old Testament that these he spoke to believed to be true. And this is when Stephen gets to the crux of his argument. See, they accused him of blasphemy and claimed he was teaching that Jesus would destroy the temple. They claimed that that was blasphemy because they believed that it was God's home and that destroying it would destroy God's home. Two things on that. Jesus never actually said that. He was referring to his own body, the temple, being destroyed and rebuilt in three days, referring to his death and resurrection. That's found in John chapter 2, verse 19. And number two, Stephen points out that God doesn't need the temple. He allowed Solomon to build it for human sake, not for his sake. The people were supposed to respect it because it represented the house of God on earth. Ultimately, however, the temple was a pile of stones. Yes, it served as a reminder to a degree of God's glory, but it was always God people were meant to worship, never the temple itself, because doing that was idolatry which is exactly what the teachers of the law and the Pharisees had turned it into. They had turned the temple into an idol. It was more important to them than God. And we know that because they loved the temple, yet they rejected Jesus. Jesus said that anyone who rejects him rejects the Father. Luke 10 verse 16. Then Stephen really hammers home his argument. He tells those listening that they are exactly like their ancestors who resisted the Holy Spirit and persecuted the prophets. They haven't changed one bit. They had the law of God but refused to obey it because the law predicts Jesus. They claimed that Jesus was wiping out the law. The law was established to point to Jesus. He fulfilled the law. At those words, the members of the Sanhedrin were furious. 
They refused to listen or give any weight to what Stephen said. Then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God in heaven. When he told them that, they dragged him out and stoned him to death. And a young man named Saul stood nearby, condoning the first murder of a disciple of Jesus. But then we get to the most amazing part. Then we see God's incredible love displayed through Stephen as he asked God not to hold the sin they were committing against them. Those are not the words of a bitter man angry at being unjustly stoned to death. Rocks were pelting him, breaking his skin and bones. Rocks thrown by the people he had shown God's truth to. And instead of being angry at the injustice of what they were doing, he cried out for their forgiveness. Those were the words of a person filled with God's compassion and love. In that moment, he cared more for their forgiveness than about his own life. He was ready to die at their hands, and he was asking God not to hold their sin against them. I truly believe that he had that same love for those people as he shared the truth of God's word. Sure, perhaps he got exasperated at the ridiculousness of a people who for hundreds of years had made the same mistake over and over again, but he did love them. However, the real question I want us to ask ourselves today is this. Are we ready to give a defense of the gospel, even if it means our death? Do we know scripture well enough to be able to give a defense like Stephen did? Are we spending time in God's word while we have the opportunity so that we have knowledge of it in those moments when we need to give a defense but don't have a Bible with us? If I asked you to tell me the gospel in a hundred words, could you do that right now? If I asked you to explain why it's so important that Jesus rose from the dead, could you tell me that right now? If I asked you how we can know that Jesus is the Son of God, could you show me in Scripture where it says that? A number of you probably can answer all those questions quickly, especially if you're mature in your faith. But if you can't, perhaps because you haven't been a Christian long or haven't had the opportunity to study God's Word much, that's okay. It's okay so long as you take steps to grow in your faith, in your relationship with God, which you can do by spending time in His Word, the Bible, and in prayer. And on, and on that, I want to challenge all of us to do something. Will we study God's Word in preparation for giving a defense of the Gospel? Will we prepare in advance so that if and when we're called to give a defense, the Holy Spirit can use our preparation and give us the exact words that we need for the situation. Spending time in Scripture has a twofold effect. Not only does it prepare us to make a defense of the gospel, but it also provides an opportunity 
for us to grow in our faith. Because when we spend time in the Bible, the Holy Spirit often convicts us of our sin. God's word highlights the areas in our life that need work. And so we can get to work fixing our sin and following God better. There is no substitute for personal study of the Bible. No podcast can replace it. No commentary can replace it. No theological book can replace it. No sermon can replace it. Certainly those things can help us understand the Bible better, but we should never replace the Bible with those things. Ultimately, we should be testing everything we hear and read against the Bible to make sure that what we hear is accurate. You need to be testing what I say on this podcast against the Bible. Decide for yourselves whether what I said was biblical. I hope it is. I pray it is because that's my goal. But I do make mistakes. I misunderstand passages or miss important context. I let what I want to say take over from what God wants to say. I can promise you that I try. But I'm no replacement for the Bible, and each and every one of us needs to be so engrossed in God's word that we know the instant someone says something that doesn't match scripture. So please, rely on your Bibles first. Use other resources to help understand the Bible, but always go back to God's word to test everything you learn or are told. And that includes especially what I say. Test my words against God's. See if they stand up or if they fall. I'm just here to try help explain scripture, to try make some things easier to understand. I'm not here to replace it. And that's why I read the entire passage today. It was tempting to try to paraphrase it and shorten it as it was a long passage. But I want God's words to speak to you, not my own. So that means I need to share God's words, not try to change them and shorten them. Because there's a reason God inspired Luke to write all he did. And I don't want to take away from that. So test everything you hear against God's word. And prepare yourself for the time that one day you need to give a defense for the gospel. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.